0: Every single man I know will text me on that Friday and be like, thank you, thank you, thank you. There are 175 women on the on bucket. Thank you, thank you. Spending money.
1: I love it. Hi, and welcome to the Compassionate Achiever Podcast. I'm Tracy Day, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Chrisica political, and social science professor at Western Connecticut State University. He's founder of the Center for Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation. He's a Fulbright Scholar, Harvard Fellow, and an ex-counterintelligence officer. But his latest project has been writing the book, The Compassionate Achiever, How Helping Others Fuel Success.
2: And Tracy. Tracy's background is in marketing, advertising, and foreign affairs. She's also been a radio and talk show host. And we've teamed up We teamed up for this project to interview compassionate achievers who are successful in their respective careers and who got there by helping others or are using their success now to do good in the world. So for me to be teamed up with the experience of Tracy and also I think for the listeners who have been uh, following us now for our first season, you know what I'm talking about. She has the questions and she leads us off in such great ways and down cool streets and avenues that, you know, we never get lost, even though I think sometimes we do. <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> but you always get, us back. You, no, always get us back. Say. you always get us back. We do go you down do. the rat maze at times, don't we? <laughs>
2: but but you do. I mean, even if it says one way streets and we're going the other way, yeah. you still take us down there.
1: We don't get hit. So It's just like I drive.
2: <laughs> oh, jeez.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I could be kidding about that. Just a a little bit. No, okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> no. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about you? Good. It's been a, it's
2: been a great time and, and uh, I loved Mr. Kathwaris that, that oh, podcast was so much fun.
1: So much fun. And I love doing it live. We're so, gonna we're gonna have to do that more. The
2: audience more was great.
1: But here we are now back in our little black box. <laughs> here too. It. it has a nice little vibe though. It does. It yeah. does. I think Pete and Scott did, you know, the drapery is nice.
2: You know, they <laughs> the they color coordinated black. So.
1: Black on black. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's always like that city vibe, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't give them too much coolness because no, they will no, go to no, their no. head. No.
2: Here. Yeah, yeah. True. True. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Really good. Yeah. yeah. Can you believe, I, I can't believe this weather has been like, I literally... I went out yesterday with a sweater on. I was dying. I just yeah, it was, was like 70, 71 degrees. It, it Day literally before, said it was like 73 in my car. And today it feels even warmer.
2: It does. So
1: yeah. I know. I, you know, But there's no global warming. <laughs> there, it's, it's, it's just a figment of our imagination. Well, you know,
2: global, global climate change and, and everything else. You know, one of the things I wanted to just highlight, and maybe we get back to this in another podcast, but it all starts with every individual. Mm-hmm. It all starts with us. What we do. Our right? footprint. Right. We seem to always point and put blame on yeah, someone else. the others. Right. When, you know, I I, don't, I just went through a pretty shocking thing yesterday on my way home after picking up my son, Cade, from school. Uh, all these cars were stopped on the road I was driving up on. And then they were going around and going on the other side of the street. I didn't know what was going on. Well, I pulled up and there's a dog that got
1: hit. <gasps> Oh, don't tell me that.
2: And no that one, makes me so sad. everyone was going around the Who dog. Can, uh, no uh, one stopped to help the dog. Uh, so we put our flashes on, and Cade, you know, this is his first time seeing something that bad. That's right? very
1: traumatic, it, actually. It is. And he I've did, seen it before, and like every time I see it, I, it ruins my week. Well, I, it just, oh.
2: Well, I'm telling you, Tracy, he, it affected him at first, mm-hmm. but within about two, three minutes, I needed to get a towel to help move the dog without breaking anything Aww. right off to the side as best we could he started Cade started direct, directing traffic
1: good for him and so he stepped up to the plate he did
2: and but that's where you know we had to talk later it's about each one of us because he was sad mm-hmm. too about how many people didn't stop yeah Right, we had a neighbor who noticed it, called the called the cops, and helped the cops. The police were awesome. Oh, you know they helped good. out in a great way. Officer Campbell of Brookfield, Yay! shout out to him. Shout out, yeah, a big time compassionate <laughs> achiever. And the dog loved him. Uh, so you know, but so
1: hopefully the dog is okay. Yeah, Please we haven't found out. We haven't found
2: out yet. So, but
1: let's go with that. But we're it going go with us, with
2: right. Okay. You can you could be a bystander or you can help somebody jump right? in. And yeah, you yeah. can right. But you know, I even asked somebody who was standing. Uh, around, can you please call the police? He said, "No, I don't want to get involved."
1: Oh my gosh!
2: And this was a dog not even on the, understand on the side. That. So it starts with us, and it was a good teaching moment for Cade uh, because you know he got to see when someone said no to trying to help. Just even a phone call. I'm not asking to help move right, the dog, to, like, right? Just a call, and, oh. right? And 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 what? And he was shocked by that. So it starts with us, and I think I think we have to remember that. You know.
1: And it's those little things that all add up. Yes. You know, I'm on my kick and not to change the subject, but it kind of goes with this whole, it's all about what we do in the little moments. I have this thing about water bottles, these plastic water bottles yeah. all over our house. And, you know, we have a bazillion kids and friends <laughs> and family that are always there. You do. And after <laughs> Yours do, is like a do. bed and breakfast. <laughs> it is. It is. It's ridiculous. I love it. But, um, but. Every time we would have company leave, I would find like 10 or 12 half, you know, half empty water bottles and it kills me. So I decided, nope, no more water bottles. Well, you should see people's reaction. That's awesome. And they're, they're like, um, yeah, could I have a glass of water? No, no, excuse me. They don't say, could I have a glass of water? Did you ever notice this? People say, can I have a bottle of water? Uh And I'm like, oh, well, we have these glasses, we have the Brita picture, pitcher, we have it, you know, yep. filtered through the, um, refrigerator. We do have this thing called a tap. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and we have good fresh and we water. We Really good water. It's delicious. But, um, now I'm just like, so I think about how many water bottles just our family uses or doesn't use anymore. Great. And just those little things, like if every family did just. Mm-hmm. Or every person, like you said, and I'm not saying I never buy a water bottle, but if you just get in that habit right. of making those slight changes, it just has such a huge impact. So
2: yeah, no, it's and, and I think you're right. I think if we start thinking a little bit more consciously about how our actions affect others, you know, mm-hmm. the world will be literally. My grandmother always said that, <laughs> but she was right. Yeah, right. That it would make a better world and make this whole place better. And I think you know that's where. We, we've we gotten off that that train of thought, right? Yeah. And I think we need to build that train back up and send it on its tracks, right?
1: Well, I thought Farouk uh, brought up a good point the other day about when he was talking about that um, group of peacemakers, oh, yeah. and they were talking about what the consequences would be if another country did X. Mm. But then he turned it around and said, yeah, but... What if we do Y or X or not? You know, like, what are those consequences? Compassionate Achiever. Compassionate Achiever. Yes. Exactly. He was awesome. But we have another really awesome Compassionate Achiever today. Yes, we do. I am really excited um, to bring on our guest, Ellen Hildebrand. So, um... Should we get her on the phone?
2: I please do. (laughs) Pete, are you listening? Because we're not popping (laughs) anything, Pete.
1: (laughs) Maybe we'll use this as our new background. No. (laughs) Hello? Hi, Ellen. It's Tracy. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good.
2: Hi, Ellen. This is Chris, too.
1: Yes. Hi, Chris. This is my co-host, Chris Cook, Ellen Hildebrand, I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for doing this. Really
0: appreciate it. Oh, you're so, it. so welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, no. thank you know, Thanks
2: for joining us and I'm imagining you're joining us because Tracy said nothing about me. So, I'm really <laughs> happy that, that she left
1: Oh, oh, Chris who? Like
2: no, So, no. we're really excited and and we have uh, one of our producers uh, their wife have, have read all of your books and so, you know, this 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 uh episode is going to be heavily watched by the producer's wife so I actually have to be in good behavior here yeah so you you no. actually stirred stirred up some uh, some talk because of your books and I'm gonna let Tracy you know take it from here but thank you for joining us
1: oh really. gosh I, I do appreciate it well Ellen Hildebrand for those that don't know those very few of you who don't know <laughs> <laughs> is a New York Times best-selling author of over 20 books right Ellen
0: yeah, so I just turned in my twenty-first novel, which will be coming out in June. Awesome. Congratulations!
1: Awesome, and we know for a fact that you've got at least like five or six more in the in the,
0: on the way, right? I would have way, to say right? probably. Let me think how many. So the one that's coming out, yep, six, six, six. Some total that are that are going to be left before I retire.
1: Oh, look at that. That's scary. Don't retire.
0: <laughs> <You're gonna> <laughs> <laughs> Only
1: six. Really six. Uh, okay.
0: People are
2: shutting off the podcast now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, All right, six oh more. No. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: but is that like, you know, musicians that, um, at, you know, posthumously or something that they people are like, oh, no, got to run and get those. She's not writing anymore. I think we can convince her to come out every time. Yeah, yeah I, think I think so. Think so I think so. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited because I met Ellen actually at an exercise class class in Nantucket. Um, she was going to be speaking, and it was just, the, what were there, eight of us or something, Ellen? Probably, ten of us? yeah, I eight or know. ten. Yeah. yeah, and you told us this very inspirational story, which we're certainly going to get into, um, but I, you know, I obviously love your books and, um, you know, think you're an amazing author. But then when you started to talk about your story and you're using your fame to do good things, of course, my you know brain went, oh, we need to talk to her. So thank you again for being on The Compassionate Achiever because you certainly are one. So tell us for those listeners that um, don't know a whole lot about your books, can you give us a quick overview of what kind of genre it is?
0: Absolutely. So I write, what I normally say is I write beach books that are set on Nantucket, and it is my goal to write what I call a better beach book. So rather than being sort of fluffy throwaways, I try and write, you know, meaningful, resonant stories that, you know, talk about families and friendships and you know, there's always this ton of drama and scandal, and um, you know, people are always like, "Well, you know, why do you write about such scandalous things?" It's like, well, if you don't, then it's really hard to write a novel where everything's just, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, going <laughs> Went along to as the beach good. it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. So um, there is a lot of a lot of drama, which which I enjoy writing about. I just just finished my 21st novel, which is. My very first murder so um and it's a it's a wedding on nantucket and the bride is found floating off the coast in the morning the morning of the wedding and then um we have to unpack what happened so um Mm. i really Mm. really enjoy writing writing that although my novels mostly are are not you know police procedural or anything of that nature they're more domestic beach and they're all set on nantucket which tracy as you know is Absolutely gorgeous and a unique singular place in the United States, Um, and people really become fans not only of the story but of the setting.
1: Absolutely. So, where do you get your ideas for these different books? I mean, did you? You know, I know there's a ton of weddings um, in Nantucket is becoming a huge destination wedding place. But were you driving by and saw a wedding and thought, "Hey, maybe I'll like throw in a murder in there," or (laughs) like, where do you get these?
0: I always knew that I wanted to write a murder, and so initially I thought, okay, I'm going to write like a serial killer, and then I'm like, okay, very hard, very hard to sort of incorporate anything that dark with, you know, the beautiful resort island of Nantucket. So then I thought, okay, what kind of murder, or what kind of of death, uh, unattended death, as the police will call it, makes sense? And then I thought, what if it happened at a wedding, and maybe it was the best man, and maybe it was the maid of honor, and... So then you start thinking about, you know, the other players involved, and you, I created two families, um, you know, coming together in this gorgeous location for this wedding, and then what exactly happened. So, and I, I can't really say anything else about it, but um, <laughs> yeah. I have no, re- one, one other away. wedding book called Beautiful Day, which was, you know, more exploring, like, the entire wedding universe. And this, in this novel, it's, it's similar, but it's, it's, um, it's more focused on, of course, the crime.
1: Uh-huh. That's that. So, do you use actual people's names, or you mix them up, or I mean, obviously there wasn't a murder, you know, a murderer named Bill or something. I don't mean that.
0: Right? But do you? I do don't. You just people dream always. That's always the number one question when I speak. People always say, "Do you ever write about people that you know? Put real people in your books?" And the answer is no, because fiction is crafted to make sense. So whether or not we realize it, when we're watching. You know a fictional show every single detail is moving the narrative along and if you put a real person in a fictional piece like that they clunk around because we all have diverse aspects and things that don't make sense and we're boring you know mostly (laughs) um of what we do is very mundane and boring so um when i create characters um they're tailored to suit the narrative so real people don't fit into that scenario i'm
2: just thinking out loud because Tracy had recently had a wedding of her daughter, right? You're bringing up the bride. And, and one of the most, uh, I think, important books on when it comes to compassion and the science behind compassion actually talks about weddings and brides. They start measuring oxytocin. Um, this, this, he calls himself a neuroeconomist, Paul Zak, right? He, he actually tests people on the level of oxytocin, how close they are to the bride or to the mother of the bride, right? Because <laughs> the most trust, the most oxytocin, is around the mother of the bride because she's feeling high. She's feeling, you know, this is this is the day that's that that's happening. That's happened. assuming
1: she likes the groom. No comment. No, <laughs> Usually kidding. they do, I'm and I right. do. I just want that clarified. Okay, like, all right. The, my you got that? Running. You can, yeah. you can, you can, you can <laughs> yeah. play that. We don't have to like edit that but, part. But up. this is really
2: interesting because in compassion, right? That, that oxytocin, which is crucial for building trust among people, right? It's the higher it goes, and and literally the mother of the bride is like key. Even more so than the bride. Well, the bride's really high, but it's it's who because the mother of the bride is also orchestrating a lot of different things.
1: Oh, true. Right? Yeah.
2: There's a lot that of things. Very,
0: very interesting in the in in what I'm thinking about it, and only I know who the, the players are in the novel. But it's fascinating to think about that.
1: Very cool. Really? Does it kind of yeah. play in there? You can't ask her. You can't right? ask her. can't The
0: truth. I mean, you, know, you only <laughs> understand it. You know, when you're the mother. I mean, I my daughter's twelve, so she's obviously not married, but. Um, you know, thinking about how great that day will be for me because she's your daughter, and yeah. and the broad, you know, weddings are like one of the very few sort of rituals that we have that are focused on the woman and
1: true, you know, and and really, you know, I mean, hopefully, ninety nine out of a hundred are very positive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, events, you know, although I have to say I grew up um, doing cater waitering kind of thing Oh, at a you country. Did? Yeah, I didn't was, know that Oh, yeah, uh, you know, jack-of-all-trades I didn't put that <laughs> in my uh, bio but, you know, but they um, so we saw tons of weddings I mean, at times it was kind of a factory at times we would do three in a day, literally wow. at, at different events and like you said, 99% of the time it was Really great and really a high for people, but um, there was a lot of drama. There oh, was yeah. a lot of drama. And this gets
2: to Ellen's point, right? Exactly,
1: exactly. I mean, these players may have fit into your uh, <laughs> fictional people because, I mean, it was crazy some of the things that went on. And um, but anyway, you know, I digress. So, uh, what's your what's your writing process? So you you decide you're going to do a murder.
0: Right. So I start the summer book. So I'm uh, you know, more of a business plan probably than some writers because I'm on a contract. I write two books a year. I have three teenagers, and I don't have an assistant. So everything gets done myself. So someone like James Patterson that's writing more than one book a year, he has people that write it for him, um, and I'm doing all my writing myself. I also am probably one of the only novelists in present day and age who write longhand.
1: You so do. I
0: write longhand in notebooks, and then I transcribe into the computer myself later, after I have about 50 pages, I'll, I'll go ahead and put it into the computer. So I start the summer books um, right around the beginning of April, and I'll write continuously, and I just turned it in yesterday, which um, was supposed to be November 1st, but I think, um, sorry, it's pretty close. <laughs> it was close uh, enough, yeah <laughs> And so it's, what is that, seven months. So I take seven months, and I don't stick to like a rigid schedule because I would be constantly letting myself down. So basically what I've come to realize is I'm just I write any possible moment that I can and I don't have to be in a special room or because I write longhand I take my notebooks on vacation I take them on airplanes I take them to my children's sporting events. Each of my kids plays three sports so I'm constantly at driving them somewhere or or watching them play something um and I can just work anytime that I'm not actively busy doing something else. So um, in this way, believe it or not, a novel gets done on a perfect day. I'll probably, it would be a summer day on Nantucket. It'd be by my pool. And I would have, say, from 11 a.m. until 6 p.m. just to, just to churn out.
1: And you could sit down and do it for seven hours?
0: Well, I take seven hours. When I was at I was at the University of Iowa Writers Workshop, very famous, very esteemed. And one of the great gifts that that program gave me is it taught us to compose three hours a day. No more, no less. If you compose three hours a day, um, you can get two books written a year, and I am proof of that. So, in in a seven hour span, I always give myself six or seven hours to get three hours worth of composing right. done because it is so difficult.
1: Mm
2: hmm. That's and, true. And Ellen, on on that, because uh, the podcast, this is often of my my first major book called "The Compassion Achiever," and one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was, you know, this is called "The Compassion Achiever," self compassion for yourself when it comes to writing. Could you could you speak? Uh, about that? Cause there's a lot of, you know, budding writers out there who are throwing themselves on hot charcoals or on <laughs> knives, like I'm not getting enough done. And what you just said, you know, I, I would love to, if there's anything more you could add to that regarding, you know, self-compassion uh, for yourself right. when it comes well, to writing. Exa-
0: yeah. I mean, exactly. The, the nice thing is, um, you know, I think whatever, we're all used to an eight hour work day, right? And and I'll tell you, my friends I look at my life and they say, oh, my gosh, you have it so easy. Um, <laughs> but it is very, very, very difficult And you compose. have three kids, right, don't you? Yeah. To have three hours um, where you're actually composing something and you can get an enormous amount done. But I don't beat myself up. And that is the thing is if I can't get three hours done, oh, well. You know, I don't keep myself to a page uh, word count and I don't keep myself to a page count. Um, I just get done whatever I can get done. And I give it 100%. And I just – I don't know how I do it, and I really try not to examine it too, too closely because, um, you know, you don't want to psych yourself out. And I just feel like, uh, for me anyway, it's very important I just tell myself it's going to get done. I will get it done. I sat down because I was on deadline, and I sat down this time last week, and I turned out 21 pages, which is the most – to finish the book, which is the most I've ever done in one sitting (laughs) – And, you know, I was very proud of myself, but it was flowing because I'm at the end of the book and I know how it's going to end. And um, so it was really flowing. And then on days when it's not flowing as freely, I don't beat myself up. It is destructive. So I just say, okay, you know what? Tomorrow's another day.
1: Yeah, that's good. Now, uh, this is a question for both of you. Um, How? So I've I've taken some writing courses and whatever. Um, The longest thing I've ever written was a speech for congress but that was about it but um so you know they do say you should sit down at a certain place like that's your writing place so you get in, you know your mindset and um and ellen you've said you can just kind of do it on a plane or do it on the fly or you know sitting at a sports game
0: absolutely yeah i have no choice and then that's the thing it's like i don't i think probably and, and, and now, I'm wondering, would that even work for me? Um, you know, on an optimal day, I have a beautiful pool in my backyard. I will sit at the pool and I will write. That is my perfect day, right? That's wonderful. Or I go to the beach. It's a little sandy. But you know what? It's fine. Um, but if I don't have that luxury and if I have children or things that I have to do or I'm traveling for work, which I do all the time, then I just write wherever I am.
1: That's great. Did you do that, I, Chris? I, did did I, you have a space? I,
2: well, actually, my desk is in literally the middle of the house so I can help orchestrate. We we have three kids too yes so you know I'm I'm either fixing something electronic in the middle of writing a sentence or you know Uh a lot of what Ellen's saying right but just in different ways right but I'm structured so I can see every part of the house so it's not in an office it's literally in the middle of everything and the one thing that really helped me was I I call it taking a world taking a walk I, I made uh, a walking path in the back. We have a little over three and a half acres, and oh, so, nice. yeah, I literally just made a path, and so it's great for the dog and I. And yep. it's so I either go out, and I always have my notebook with me. I have a small notepad, mm-hmm. and and then that's when the ideas come. It's like in the shower, right? <laughs> right? It's, yeah, I know. Right? It's and so, um,
0: I love insomnia because insomnia <laughs> is like you know, one of the times when you just you know like this morning I have one of the things I'm doing is because of the way the book-selling business is going with retail stores versus e-books, is I have to write extra content. So not only do I have to turn in a book or two books a year, but I have to write extra content for each novel. So I was just thinking... Why is, is that?
1: Like, what's the extra content for Okay, the so the e-book. extra
0: content would be like an extra chapter... Let's say it's an extra chapter that goes to say, well, last summer it went to Barnes & Noble, and then this past... My Christmas book, it went to Target. So the bricks-and-mortar retailers that are actually selling printed books get what's called exclusive extra content because they need to lure people into their stores to get to buy the paper books because e-books are so much cheaper. Um, So as I was – you know, I'm in California, so I'm a little bit off on my clock, and I was lying in bed and um, thinking – what am I going to use for my extra content? And that's like when the idea, and the idea just came to me. I was like, okay, now I have, you know, it's quiet, it's dark, right, right. and I have the luxury of being able to think.
1: <laughs> and do you get up and take notes in the middle of the night? I,
0: I just, you know what, I'm pretty good. I just right. either, if, if I'm if I'm on the fly, and I think I'm going to forget, I'll write it in my phone, but this morning I just got up and I, I couldn't fall back to sleep, so I just got up and started writing.
2: Yeah, I have an, I do something similar. I have a notepad beside my bed, and I have a pen that has a light that actually shines down onto oh, the no onto the um piece of paper and then like Ellen if I feel like oh man this is too awesome I have to get I have to get away and start just scribbling and you and it's a high it's like running you know you know I'm a big runner Tracy so when after mile three I'm feeling like awesome right I'll take on Arnold Schwarzenegger and Rocky (laughs) Balboa at the same time right um that's the way writing gets Right? Really? Yeah, it's this—it's this love-hate right relationship. Same thing with running. <laughs> you don't want to get out yeah, of bed exactly. in the morning. So funny,
0: I'm a runner as well. I run <laughs> oh, all day.
2: right, so you know, right? Getting out there is the key, right? As long as you—you yep. you don't it want is, to get the, the out discipline.
0: there. say It is the <laughs> discipline
2: that sets up my day. Right, mm, and I need it. And so there's so much similarity between that and that. You know, once I'm out there, you know, and now with the phones, you can hit record while you're running no right. so, i was gonna
1: say do you ever use like that feature yeah. on your phone
2: yeah oh yeah i do all the time yeah same with me Alan. i i without a doubt i think i'd be lost without it because i used to carry one of those little micro cassettes before mm-hmm. the phones <laughs> <laughs> ellen's you're laughing dating at me yourself. great great okay. thank you ellen okay. right. like, all right
1: you, did. <laughs> you fit right in with tracy <laughs> yeah exactly. we love to throw them under the bus Alan, so feel but, free but yeah that's
2: i mean but to hear you know ellen say that who's you know it's, 21 books now it's in yeah. the hopper right that you know i think for many of us and for budding writers it's a it's a good thing to hear because you feel like you know okay you know this superstar ellen right is is having these troubles and they're similar to mine and look what she's doing right yeah. so it gives hope to, to
1: a lot <laughs> all of all, us. The, all the other ones <laughs> of us who have not yeah. started so i have two questions well i've got a ton of questions for you but, <laughs> i was gonna say um so, do you, what's, like, how did you get started? What, what, what was the impetus? Did you just say, I want to write a novel, or, or how did that go?
0: Well, I've always wanted to be a writer. So, ever since I was young, I was in second grade. I remember my, my second grade teacher gave every child in the class an award based on their personality, and my award was the top author award. I'm seven years old, and I hear it, and I'm like, yes, I'm an author. Oh, and I never wanted so to be great. anything else, and... <gasps> You know, my parents really fostered the love, and they sent me to writing camp, and I went to Johns Hopkins undergrad and majored in creative writing, which is something you can do at Johns Hopkins, believe it or not. And um, and then I went, and I lived in New York for a while, and I taught English, so I had the summers off, and that's sort of how I ended up on Nantucket. And then I decided I wanted to go to graduate school, so I applied to the University of Iowa and miraculously got in, and uh, while I was at Iowa, I met... Uh well I should say when I was at Iowa I was very very unhappy. So Tracy you've been on Nantucket so you know how gorgeous it is and then contra- and like, I was living get there. Be back. Yeah. And contrast that with the you know the middle of Iowa. Iowa city <laughs> oh. where it was like all hog farms and <laughs> cornfields and silos and um I was miserable. Miserable and Uh, The way that I made, I used to go to therapy. They had free therapy at the University of Iowa. I used to go every week and cry. And then I decided (laughs) that a better decision was to create my own therapy, and so I started writing a novel that was set on Nantucket. Nice.
1: And that's how it started. Nice. Wow. Right?
2: Helping herself. And did
1: you love the first one? Did you feel like, wow, this is really my best effort? Or did you feel like? I wasn't sure.
0: I mean, we were all at Iowa, and I have to say, to our other point, Um, everybody that I went to Iowa with was a genius and I was not the best writer there by a long shot, but I was the only one that could get things done. Like I would turn
1: you showed (laughs) that,
0: you know, because, and and there are still like the most talented writers I've ever known were at Iowa and a lot of them don't have anything published because they just can't finish. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, it was a discipline issue more than anything else. Um, but I wasn't sure if it was good or not, and you know, of and of my twenty one novels, do I think my first novel was the best? Absolutely, no way. No, I. You know, <laughs> the goal, of course, is to try and get better with each book. So
1: sure. So, what would you say to somebody who is just starting out writing their first book? What what we always try and give our listeners some tools um, to right. be. Compassionate achievers. So do you right. have any thoughts? I feel
0: like, you know, as far as the achieving part of the compassionate achiever, the achie- it is, you know, it's any job, but especially with writing, when it can get discouraging and you do want to give up and throw the novel in the drawer, is you have to finish. Mm-hmm. And you can always go back and fix it later. Um so it is actually ninety nine percent perspiration, one percent inspiration. Um, just finish the book. The other thing that um I tell people is that, you know, I found Nantucket, and that was the greatest gift for my writing ever because now because I had a thing, right, and my thing was mm-hmm. Nantucket. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people, whatever it is that's unique and different about you, maybe you have a very strange, specialized job, you know, talk about that. Maybe you live, you know, in the desert, whatever it is, like write about what you know but what you know that other people don't know. And that, mm-hmm. that's really the key.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's, you know, what Ellen just said is also key for graduate school. A lot of people just don't finish their doctoral dissertation. They just never get it done. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's true. And and so, you know, for the students who are also listening, because we have a lot of students listening to Compassion Achiever, it's not just writing your papers and finishing them, <laughs> right? But when a lot of them want to go on to grad school, that's it's the same thing. So whether you're a writer thinking about grad school, it is about finishing. It's getting to that to that finish line. And what Ellen said I, I just want to double down on. You can always go back, mm-hmm. right? And always go back and fix it. Right. But but as Ellen's saying, once you cross that line, there's this like euphoria. Right? Yeah. It's, yep. And what Ellen's saying, right, is that it may not be the best and I think every writer feels that, that what they just finished, it's like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. I finished it, right? right. <laughs> and and then you, you get more feedback. And I love Ellen's point that, you know, ne- the next book's gonna be better right? Each one's mm-hmm. going to be better. That, that, so there's always this kind of hope, right? That it's not optimism, right? Because we talk about the difference between hope and optimism. But it's this hope that, you know, and you are that hope. And that, when you have that engine driving you, it, you, you are the captain, right? You're the captain of that ship. You, so, get
1: yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. you get to drive the bus. yes, you get to drive the bus.
2: And Ellen's points, I think, need just to be heard by a lot of different people, not just, you know, writers but people doing a lot of different things. And she said that, no matter what your job is. Right? And I think we forget that. And and Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King, had something very similar to say about that. And when she was talking, at his image, his face popped in my head because he said, basically, no matter what you do, you do it the best. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You do the best you possibly can. You could be a, um, a janitor, or you could be a doctor. We don't care what you are, as long as you try your best. And And Ellen's words, that's... When I was listening to her, I, I, all I could think of was Dr. King. He, just, he literally, his face just jumped in, into my head. I was like, yes, Ellen. And I had to keep my mouth shut. You see me put my hands up. was like, just listen <laughs> yeah, to just, Ellen. <laughs> just, just listen.
1: Well, you know who else just said that? And I, I hate to keep referring to him, but Farouk Kuthwari uh, was our guest last week, Ellen, who is CEO of ethan allen um, and has been for like 30 years it's an 85 year old company and it's one of the most successful companies in the country anyway he was saying don't wait to be relevant and to be uh passionate about what you're doing when you get there you know we always hear, hear people well when i get my perfect job i'm gonna be so passionate about it then but he's saying no Like, whatever you're doing, you know, you're sweeping the streets. Like, be passionate about it. And then the next thing will come, one step at a time. So I I think that's what I hear you saying, is you've got to do that one book and then get it done and then go back and either fix it or move on to the next one and and do your best every time you can, you know? And it's not going to be perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? That um, Did you have a mentor at all, Ellen, that um, you felt like was somebody that you really looked up to or that you wanted to aspire to or you just wanted to do it on your own?
0: You know, that's a really good question, and I, I don't have an easy answer for that. I am inspired... And I want to be sort of careful how I phrase this. I am inspired by women who are excelling in their field, who are doing it sort of without the help of a famous husband, a famous father. Um, you know, so I have like fairly <laughs> tough criteria for you know women that are really achieving, um, that are doing it of their, uh, on their own. And I always tell my daughter. You know, the greatest thing about my life is I don't have a boss. I'm my own boss. And the other great thing about my life is that I'm using my brain. And, you know, I'm making my own money, and I'm in charge of my own career, and I'm doing it myself. And so other women that do that, um, I love Diane von Furstenberg. I think she's amazing. Mm, she's, she's amazing. You know, inspiring in so many ways. And, you know, she has, a I think, an autobiography called The Woman I Want to Be or The Woman I Wanted to Be. And so I always think be the woman that you wanted to be. Um But she's definitely a person that inspires me. I love Alicia Keys, um, Christine Lagarde, who's the the head of the IMF. Uh, Love women who are super strong and super smart and achieving and doing it themselves. I love that.
1: Well, and I just want to throw something out there. Um, Diane von Furstenberg, I had a chance to get to know her a little bit. And um, through Vital Voices, have you ever heard of that? Ellen? No. Um, it's an amazing, well, it's kind of fits in with exactly what you're talking about. It's a group out of DC, um, that came out of the UN. It's, um, an NGO and, um, Kay Bailey Hutchison and Hillary Clinton actually took it over once it came out of the UN. And it is a group that focuses on women and out of the country. Um, all over the world, but not in the U.S. And what they do is they give them not only monetary support, uh, but they give them training. They give them all kinds of different help and support, um, but they identify emerging leaders, who women. They only work yeah. with women and girls. And um, they have been behind some amazing people Uh, to try anything from literally a tribe in Africa where they're um, making amazing baskets and then they want to try and sell them. They help them, you know, give them loans. They uh, help them with the whole merchandising, everything like that, up to literally trying to get women in presidencies around the world. Right. And um, but Diane von Furstenberg is very. She's on the board of it, or she was. I don't know in the last couple of years if she is or not. But she was on it for a long time, and she, I heard her speak several times. And she is just one of those women, like you said. I mean, she has changed the fashion world, um, and and has done it. Talk about a compassionate achiever like yourself. Yep. I mean, and and look look at the impact she's had. And she started out very humbly and. Uh, it, it's just, I love stories like that. So, you know, one step at a time. People are always like, yeah, but those people, you know, had something else or they had an advantage. And and so many people don't have that. They just go out right. and do it. So, exactly. I love I that. I think Diane
0: von Furstenberg was a, was a single mother at one point when she started, to, when she's yeah. in the wrap dress or whatever. And then you have J.K. Rowling, same thing, right? She's exactly. a single mother oh, on the perfect. train. And now... She is not that anymore.
1: (laughs) I heard she actually makes more money than Queen Elizabeth. Or she's worth more. Like
0: what she has created is truly amazing. It
1: is. It's incredible. So that is a great segue into why we wanted to talk to you, not only because you're a New York Times bestselling author and we love your books, but... You have a huge following, um, Hildebranders, aren't? Is that what they're called? Yeah. <laughs> um, I love this, but you have turned um, a very um, a scary story into just doing great things. And like I said, you're using your fame to get the word out about cancer awareness. And um, can you tell us a little bit about your Mama Strong, is it, that, um, that you have on your website, and um, tell us what you're doing with that.
0: Okay, so I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2014, and the weird, bizarre sort of coincidence of it is I had a novel coming out called The Matchmaker, and... I, when I say I was diagnosed May 22nd, and the book was coming out June 10th, and the book has a cancer storyline in it, and so I'd done all this research and I started doing, you know, going to fundraisers and became so close to my characters that I was really into it. And then, sure enough, like three weeks before the book comes out, I get diagnosed myself. Wow! I and it that. escalated from just thinking that I had a lump and it would be a lumpectomy to finding out I had four lumps in one breast and one in the other, and I was having a double mastectomy and I thought to myself, okay, I can't – here I am, I'm about to go on tour, and I can't, I can't keep quiet about this. So I decided to make it public, so I wrote a piece for the Huffington Post explaining that I was undergoing this double mastectomy and blah, blah, blah. And the outpouring of love and support from my readers was the first thing that blew me away. It was like this – is amazing, but what you have to understand is that, of course, the demographic of breast cancer is the demographic of Ellen Hildebrand's novels.
1: Right. So the two,
0: there was so much overlap. Not that every single one of my readers has had breast cancer, but they had a mother or a sister or a friend or grandmother, um, and so I had readers from across the country sending me cards and Christmas ornaments and angels and pocket gardens and inspirational books wow. and I, you know, it all went to my publisher, and I'm like, this is just incredible. So, as any mother who gets breast cancer will tell you, the hardest thing is talking to your children about it. And when I talked to my kids, they were, they were 14, 12, and 8. And my 8-year-old daughter said, "Oh, you're fine. Your mama, your mama's strong." And she's little thing where she kissed love her that. biceps. She's adorable. And um, <laughs> so she really came up with the with the Mama Strong. The
1: hashtag so Mama Strong.
0: Hashtag. Yeah. That <laughs> that I love great. it. Isn't it? Is. That that is that's great. so awesome. Mama Strong. And so I went on the news. I went on CBS this morning and, you know, the day before my double mastectomy. I don't know how I did that, but I did it. And uh, talked about Mama Strong and <laughs> went through the surgery and, and was fine. And, you know, there's some other stories. <laughs> about that, but what I decided to do once I was out of the woods is have a part I you know, how do you give back? How do you give back? How do you express your gratitude? So I decided with my publisher that I would have a portion of my website which would be called hashtag Mama Strong and when you write in and tell us you don't have to do anything other than just tell a story about you or someone you love, um, going through breast cancer and then my publisher sends a box of books of my books to um your can you know your cancer treatment center and the greatest thing that has come of this I almost can't tell it without crying is that um I have heard from women across the country who have said I read your novels while I was in the chemo chair thank you it was such an escape Oh that rocks, oh, wow.
2: that rocks. that's that so rocks. awesome that's, yeah that's amazing
1: I, I that's yeah and I love what you're doing I mean this is kind of our definition right. of a compassionate achiever like really you using it. your story and helping others along the way and and I know what um kind of impact you have like you know I'm sure you had no idea that all these people were going to rally around you like that, did you? Oh, I
0: had no idea. My first – this is like my greatest story. So my first – i they asked me – my doctors said, you know, my high-powered lawyers and my uh, investment bankers can give me four to six weeks of rest. She, she and my oncologist said, can you give me four to six weeks of rest? And I said, I can't. I have this book out, Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I have to go on no tour. No And so I said, I can give you two weeks of rest. So what that meant was that 12 days after my surgery, I flew to Chicago, um, and I had two events in Chicago, so the first event, and I'm on drugs, and I have the the drain, the worst thing is like the drains, which we won't get into, it's too awful to discuss, but the drain's coming out of my back, and there I am, and I'm, you know, the first event, I can barely remember, the second event is a brown bag lunch, 100 women, uh, at the Cook County Library, and I st- and I'm feeling very sorry for myself at that point because I'm in a lot of pain and I am just I'd have no breath at this point, And I'm like, this is just truly awful. And um, in the front to the left are two women and one of them has no hair and one of them has very, very short hair. And my eye keeps going to them and um, they come up through the line to get their book signed and they said, um, Ellen... We came here today because we've both had double mastectomies. Together, we've been through 36 rounds of chemo and 64 rounds of radiation. And we came today to show you that you are going to be fine.
1: Wow. That's empowering.
0: And basically what they did, I think, is they passed a baton to me. And they didn't have to come to my book signing. You know, they obviously have their own families and their own you know treatments to worry about and they came out of kindness and out of grace and you know I feel like they passed a the baton and it's my job now to do that mm. for anybody else that I can mm-hmm.
1: that's and you're doing it you're so <laughs> doing it actually
2: you're doing more I absolutely you are you're doing more you're not only doing that but you're doing a lot more Ellen and it's it's in a lot of the different things we already talked about. And that's that's empowering to so many people. Mm-hmm. And it, because we've all been touched by somebody who has had cancer and we lost my mother in law when, when I married mm-hmm. my wife, I I was very fortunate. I, I, I married into two amazing strong women who just rocked my world. Mama Strong. Um, big time Mama, mama, mama strong. strong. Big time Mama <laughs> Strong. And I married way above me, put it that way. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, when we lost her, it, it, I saw what it did to, to my little Mama Strong. Mm. And, you know, it was... And she lost... My wife then also lost her other closest friend two months later mm. in a horrific accident. And, you know, you give so much power and strength ellen to people you know not only by the story but by the novels that you write and have that those books donated to those centers isn't that terrific that, i love that's that that's amazing because it takes you know and as a runner ellen you know if you can you know focus on something else while you're running oh, the miles right. go by right, right? yeah exactly <laughs> right so exactly. what you did for the cancer center especially when they have to sit there for so long um, that that it's a beautiful story and it's a strong one. It's a beautifully strong story. And it, thank you for sharing that with us. That's oh, awesome,
1: right. Ellen. I want you, uh, if you can, just quickly to share with us. Um, So, I read that you have one of your favorite shows, is West Wing, or it was, or whatever. I love that show. (laughs) I know. Like DC and the whole thing. I know, Um, right? You're going to love it even more. (laughs) Um, But you said that one of the characters shared a story that really resonated with you. And and it sounds to me like just what those women were doing for you by showing up. Can you share that story?
0: Oh, yeah. So, it's by, if you're a fan of West Wing, so it was told by the great Leo McGarry. Yeah. um, The Mm -hmm. actor, I think, is dead, which is too bad because he was my favorite character on that show, but he um, tells a story, and it goes as follows. There's a man who has fallen into the hole, into a hole, and uh, his doctor walks by, and he calls up to his doctor, and he says, hey, can you help me get out of this hole? And the doctor writes a prescription and throws it down into the hole, and then... You know, uh, his his reverend walks by and he says, hey, can you help me get out of this hole? And the reverend scribbles down a prayer and throws it down into the hole. And then his friend walks by and he says, hey, can you help me get out of this hole? And his friend looks down and jumps into the hole with him and he goes, well, that's no help. Now what's going to happen? Now we're both stuck in here. And he goes, yes, but I've been here before and I know the way out. Oh, Oh,
1: isn't that great? That is great. I love that. And that reminded me of when you told the story of those women showing up to your book signing and doing that for you. Um, and and Chris, this is a question for you apart from the obvious. Why is it so important when people are going through tough times to make those connections? I mean, is it a case of we just want to know that um, other people have made it through or is it kind of a misery loves company definitely not
2: misery loves company right it's not that's, that. not it, that's not right? it right no I, I you know in the connections are, are both inner and outer right that connection it gives you strength right here in mm. ellen tell the story of the two women who sat in the in the front i don't know if you picked up on her tone or her voice but she got stronger of course right yes. she got stronger i got chills yeah, i didn't well. get stronger i got chills <laughs> well, But but because it gives you some inner strength mm. right that you know there's other people that went through this, in some instances, went through a more horrific way and are still come out on the other side right? that are that are strong. And then on the other side, on the outer side, so on inner side, it gives you that inner strength. But in terms of outer, it gives you possible connections to other doctors. And what I'm trying to say is other resources that you may not have known that are out there mm-hmm. that then you can then follow as a possible path to addressing your problem and so it gives you more capabilities you know in in the book we talk about connecting to capabilities that's what it does it gives you that interconnection so it makes you more capable Mm -hmm. and I think every person needs to find that but then for everything not just when they go through problems but then when you're going through problems when you're connecting you know that's how you hear about other you know possible new drugs or new treatments that are making their way around and 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 just having that knowledge that you're not stuck in one avenue, mm-hmm. you're not. There's not one just pipe that you have to go down. That there's a bunch of others. It gives you. It gives you options. And when, every time you have options, you know you, you you're still. In, you have this sense that you're still in. Control. You're in
1: control, right? And and you have that hope, I'm, right? I'm a, I'm a stoic. Remember,
2: I told you I'm a stoically Buddhist Catholic. So I'm really nothing, right? I'm <laughs> a little bit of everything. <laughs> That's your own new religion, <laughs> right? I'm A little yeah. bit of everything, but the Stoics. Say you know one of the beauty, beauties about Stoics like Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius, and they they say what happens to you, you can either see it as something that if it's negative, that's you're, it, it's happened to you and you're the victim, or you can see it and change it. And they literally t- talk about this in terms of a challenge or this is what was willed, and because it was willed, I now will it. Mm-hmm. So now you you know you own it to make it to make a turn, right? Mm-hmm. And I I think you know way Ellen was telling the story, you know, the Stoics <laughs> would be very proud of, mm-hmm. of, of yeah. Ellen, right? Because, you know, she, she did more than just own it, right? She connected with so many different people and, and still to this day does that and gives hope then back, right, to right. to others, right? So there's this, you know, you're, you're a triple threat, Ellen.
1: I, Isn't I, she? Oh, yeah. Oh I know. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I have to share one other story that I love that I read about you. Um I heard that you spoke at the Mass General Cancer Center spring luncheon um, at your two-year cancer-free mark, um, but yep. there was one of the women um, there, it was Kelly or something, that yep. you have a connection to. Tell us, tell us about Kelly and, and your connection there.
0: Well, this has happened numerous times. So I um, wrote my novel, The Rumor, and it came. I was writing it while I was being treated, and I dedicated it to my surgeons. And in the back of the book, I talk a little bit about how I'd been battling cancer while I was writing the novel, and I named my doctor. So sure enough, one of my readers is like, oh my goodness, my daughter is being treated at Mass General, and she has the same doctors, and she's having a really hard time. Would you mind contacting her? And so I just friended her on Facebook, said, hey, your mom's a big fan of mine. I just went through the exact same thing (laughs) you're going through with the same doctors, and you're so, so lucky that we live in Massachusetts and we're in Boston and this is the best medicine in the country and, and you have the best doctors and you need to trust in them and blah, blah, blah. So I was super fortunate to then be able to have her as my guest at the luncheon. She, she's fine. I'm fine. Yes. Our doctors oh. were all there. It was like this amazing moment. But um, more times than I could possibly tell you about now have I gone out and met women – who have gone through cancer they'll contact me on facebook um a lot of the times my surgeons will will forward their information because they're fans and they know that they had the same doctors that i did and they just want to talk and i I, anytime i can reach out i do it because Mm -hmm. it is uh it's just so so important to me so kelly is but one of probably a dozen women that i am now friends with that i have met through my connection at mgh
1: so awesome. And, you know, I, I'm a true believer. Chris knows this, that everything happens for a reason. Yes. It, it, there's, there's no surprises. There's no nothing. But, you know, and this was horrible that you had to go through this. But I do believe and I'm so glad that you took that opportunity to use your popularity and your fame and to use that experience for the good you know, you didn't just go into a hole and wallow in it, um, right. but you turned it around and, and you know, let's face it. I'm sure that there's a lot of people that have gone through cancer that would love to be doing the same kind of thing. And in their own way, they are um, right. as what you're doing. But because of your, what you've done, your success of writing all these books and having all these women, and not just women, I'm not saying just women, but primarily the demographic for your book is just what you said, people that get breast cancer. And, right. and to turn that, and, and I, I just, I think it's so inspiring to use that and then say, but look what I can do with that now. You know, it's not just about selling books or making money, and all that's all that stuff is great. But this is really so important. I, I just kudos to you, Ellen. Yes, and really.
2: And I'm so glad. That you guys met in that eight-person exercise class in Antarctica. <laughs> I know.
1: <you're> amazing, isn't <laughs> it? that crazy? I know. It just, it never fails. That like, so how ironic is this? And I digress for just one minute. We, we never do that. We, we, no, we oh, never yeah, do no, that. No, 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 no. This is the first time ever. <laughs> okay, so we were just talking about how amazing Diane von Furstenberg was. Yes. And I brought up Vital Voices and I always take my notes on this little iPod, iPod ad, iPad, Jeez, I can't even talk. Um, I just got an email that popped in from Vital Voices no. that, yes, that literally says, people need mentors now more than ever, It's Diane von Furstenberg's quote. When <laughs> wow. she said from the Vital Voices, it says Vital Voices board member, Diane von Furstenberg, <laughs> was honored with the Master Mentor Award at the I Mentor Champions dinner. With uh-huh. hundreds of mentoring relationships under her belt, DVF has centered women's empowerment as a key message throughout this her whole career. Podcast. Is that you're crazy? Right. Like Every
2: episode, somehow, this stuff type of happens, it, right? It's, it's,
1: I mean, you've had it several times. Crazy. You're like, wait, this, this is crazy. just popped up.
2: Yeah, And now with Ellen, though, oh, seriously, you're talking about that. And I heard it. I heard you look down. And I was like, what the heck?
1: I know. I, I was like, I because ha- it, it said. This across, has never happened on air. I know, but I,
0: that, that I couldn't is, let is pretty, it go. That is pretty ironic and pretty funny. And the thing is, is like you know, she just lives such a great example. Yes, um, she totally. I did. Does. I did, in fact, know though that she does mentor other women, and it's it's perfect. It's it's a perfect match. Yeah. For her, but she's mentored me just by being herself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's that's
1: what you have to. Um, I think our listeners need to hear that mm-hmm. again because. You never know who's watching or who's listening. And, um, you know, even these little things, we talked about it before we had you come on air about, you know, we have to look at ourselves and these little tiny things that we do, can turn into big things. They really can. And and so who knows how much inspiration, you know, DVF gave to you, Ellen. And, you know, I'm sure you weren't thinking, wow, Diane von Furstenberg can do it. So can I. But (laughs) somewhere in the back of your head, maybe that happened a little bit, you know, and now people can look at you and say, hey, Ellen is like, a real person, a real mom of three kids. And she had a really sucky situation and got breast cancer, but she's keeping going and she's turning that into such a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just love it. So thank you. I
2: want want to cue in Pete. Hopefully you could do this a Rocky song. Yeah. Uh, yes. yeah, that's
1: our that's our half-assed engineer. I, you know, it, it's our whole ass <laughs> engineer. No, we say that so affectionately. But, we love that. That's the
2: thing about compassion achievers, I think, like Ellen, right? Is that as they move up, there are groups I'm just not talking about a, a few people, but groups of people that move up with them. With you. Right. And yeah. so it makes the world a better place. It makes what their area, whatever they're in, their town, their their community, you know, a better place to live. And you know, we need more of that, especially now in this day and age, oh, right? For and, sure. and so, to have Ellen on to, today is—it's I'm I'm, I'm like awesome. jacked. Yeah, I, I already know. went for a run. Now I want now to go. Now you want to go, another, go for another run.
1: <laughs> well, I look at what you do around Nantucket, Ellen, and I, I love it. She she brings in um, a whole weekend. These people come from all over, right? Oh, that's awesome. And
0: that is true, yeah, I have a, what we call the Ellen Hildebrand bucket list weekend. We have it in January when Nantucket's economy is not as plump as it is at other times of the year, and 175 women come from across the country, and we do, you know, Ellen-type things from the books. We do bus tours that show places. <laughs> Can you believe it? We go to the chicken box. And That's great. I love it. And uh, I do not get paid for it. It is 100%. That's great. philanthropic for me just to bring, A, to give the, the women a chance to experience the places they've been reading about at an affordable That's price, and best. b to bring in some you know, much-needed cash in the middle of January. And I will also say that every single man I know will text me on that Friday and be like, thank you, thank you, thank you. There are 175 women <laughs> on, this <laughs> on this. Spending Thanks money. <laughs> <laughs> well, Love you know, it. <laughs> That is
2: great because one of the things, and Trish you know I travel, but I not only get the travel books, but I get novels based on those areas. So yeah. when I go to those areas, I have characters... That um, you know, I'm going yeah. to specific you know it areas. It
1: makes it so much oh. more relevant, yes. doesn't it? Oh yes,
2: it does. Without yes. a doubt, and I, I love that you do that, Alan. Um, because isn't that cool? Yeah, it makes the whole area come alive in like a 4D way, right? I Not will, a 3D. But I have to tell
1: D you ways. a funny experience. So um, I love um, Cisco Beach, and yeah. um, so <laughs> and I forget even what book it was in or whatever, and we're. We're literally walking down to the beach, and um, I I sit down. I you know plop in my little sand chair, and I'm reading my book. And the next thing comes up, you're talking about Cisco Beach. It, I know. I was like, wow, you guys, like you can't <laughs> believe it. I, this is just People's like one. kind of a weird thing. It exactly. was like I'm sitting here, but I'm reading you're sitting
0: about here, it. And yeah. yeah, there was a piece in the New York Times about that. But that I, somebody wrote about was reading The Identicals. On the beach in Nantucket, and how strange it was to read a book that's taking place in the exact same place that you are. Yeah, it it, it is. It's it's that is a four. You're right, Chris. That is a 4D experience. 4D. I love it. I love it. It is yawn.
1: Well, your books are amazing, and what you're doing is incredible. Yes. Now, Chris has uh, he. We're going to throw you a curveball here. Oh, you're gonna. gonna... I'm going to make you do it now. It's your question. (laughs) <laughs> it's your
2: question uh, to ellen all right so the first person i'm it. giving it to yes. is ellen you, yeah okay no
1: you had to do it to farouk you had to explain it to him again
2: oh I, yeah after you yeah, asked, yeah. Okay. after
1: i fouled it up or something no, <laughs> no,
2: you didn't foul I'm it. I'm you kidding. asked it perfectly oh, right kidding. He just wanted a little clarification all right ellen after all that yeah. dro- it right, should have been a drum roll for you right on that right one. um so do you see compassion as a value virtue or verb
0: I I see it as a value, virtue, or a verb. What is the answer to that? I think the answer is a value. Why? I see it as a value insofar as I believe that it is something... Well, I can't tell because it's, it's either, it's either inherently in us or it's something that we've learned. Is that what you're asking?
2: Well, it could be. It so, could be. Right. And so, it doesn't have to be reason, mutually exclusive. And the reason, Ellen, is this some of the reasons my students, I think, don't like me, is <laughs> that I purposely ask vague questions because, right, it gives us an insight into the person and how they think and see. And so, you know, if I, um, I can clarify it a little bit more for you. And I can give you another hint, um, it, you can choose all three. You can choose two. You can you can have uh, whatever you like as, Th- as your answer. This is not a There's right There's no or wrong perfect question. answer for this no, one. No. There's no perfect answer. No. It's you.
0: All right. Good then. I'm going to pick value and a virtue because I feel like this is what I feel like. I feel like I am naturally a compassionate person because I am the person, and, and it comes really with being a novelist. Because what is a novelist? A novelist is somebody that is constantly Putting themselves in other people's shoes. Now, when you're able to put yourself in other people's shoes and you're trying to write from other people's voices, you you have to have compassion because you have to be able to think like that person. Um, and so, I think I have a lot of natural compassion in me. But I also was raised in a family and in a community where those things were valued, uh, and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, yep. being a giver and being kind and 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 giving back. Was was valued, and, it, and that's
2: really interesting, um, Ellen. Because a number of people ask me when I do talks on this: is you know, is it innate in us? Is it, or is it learned? It's actually, as you just said, it's both. It's both, buff. unless you're a psychopath psychopath actually right right because of the, <laughs> way the, the brain right. the brain is set up right um and and so what's really interesting is that yeah um and, and Jean-Jacques Rousseau said this quite a while ago you know he's famous for the social contract he said that we were all born with it but the way society is structured sometimes we unlearn it right mm. and so the Dalai Lama right gives some some ways to, to to learn it even the Marines now for the last three years have had one million dollar project each year on mindfulness and compassion uh, so and how to how to learn that and what that means. So yeah, you it's you know, I like I love the answer. And it Great gives it an answer. insight, right? A nice writing yeah. novel, novelist insight. I like that. that. Was good. Thank you, all.
1: Yeah, Ellen, thank you so much for being oh, with us so today. Welcome. I mean, just, you know, your novels are amazing. You're a New York Times bestseller. And I know we have um, five or six more to look forward to. And, you know, I just, I can't wait to see you again. Well, on you know what?
2: I'm going to use that five or six more to get her back on, on the podcast. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, and I have to Wonderful. throw
1: some props to Chris very quickly. Um, yeah. You just learned last week about um, the Wall Street Journal and oh, your yeah. book. Yeah, just so chosen. he is not a half-assed writer. <laughs> I'm just going to throw no, it out I'm there. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Just well, it out Ellen,
2: there. It, seriously, I'm gonna we're going to try to somehow get you back on here and maybe awesome. even talk about some of the characters and compassion or lack of compassion, mm-hmm. right? And how, how that, yeah, I think that would be really interesting yeah. because there's a lot of writers right now um, newborn writers trying to do that, that challenge that's on the social media. Um, it, right now going right, trying to write so many words a day and trying to get up. I just saw a couple of them, you know, they posted this morning. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. I got 2000 words in Dr. Cook. There you go. Right. So, but what I want them to hear is Ellen, right? She's not set. Right. right. When you know, Don't beat yourself up. Right. You it, right. You go with the flow. You go with the waves. It's just like a tide. But right? get it, comes it done. In, it comes out, right? And you ride it in, right? You boogie board that bad boy in, right? <laughs> there
1: you go. <laughs> right? But don't fight the tide,
2: right? Yes. Don't fight. Yes. And I love that about what, what Ellen said. I think there's so much truth to that. And thank you for the props for,
1: for the commercial. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Ellen. Uh, you have a great trip. You're out yes. in California. Okay, right? Yes. Yeah, Enjoy I'm in that. Springs, enjoying every minute of it. Nice. Awesome. All awesome. Right. Well, thank you again. Be sure and catch us at WCSU Media and uh we will be back next time and
2: we hope that you've learned from Ellen this show that you can unleash the compassionate achiever within you and unlock success thanks guys
1: yeah thanks again ellen you're take so, care you're good talk. all right bye 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 ellen
0: bye bye